This is Adam Lightman Bailey, and you are listening to The Real Talk Podcast. This is Jennifer Rodarte with Compass, and you're listening to The Real Talk Podcast. Hey, this is Lane Johnson representing Compass and Aspen, and you are listening to The Real Talk Podcast. Hello, this is Steve, and we're with Wider Brothers of Compass in the D.C. metro area, and you're listening to The Real Talk Podcast. This is Naomi Klein representing the Compass office in Beverly Hills, and you're listening to The Real Talk Podcast. What up, everybody? This is Chef Jack Harris at the uh, Talk Team Podcast. This is Jade with the Jessica Northrup team from Denver, Colorado, and you are listening to The Real Talk Podcast. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of Real Talk. Today, I am honored to have back for the second time the Weidler brothers from the DC, Maryland, Virginia, the DMV area, uh, my hometown. So uh, just, just to get back to the original discussion I had with Hans and Steve back in December, episode 14, uh, we discussed a little bit about, well, we discussed a lot about uh, their business, their up- upbringing, uh, how they got into the business. So if you guys wanna learn more about them, uh, and they're coming up into the real estate world, please go back to listen to episode 14. And today, obviously, this is the, the COVID-19 crisis podcast uh, issue. So we're talking a lot about what's going on today in the DMV market. Before we get into that, just real quickly, you know, just Hans, as you may have heard before, he's got an MBA from Harvard Business School. He's got a BA from Yale, Master of the Universe. And then Steve, he is a bartender. But he was also a, an AOL attorney. JD from Vanderbilt Law School. And uh, he was an associate at Pillsbury Winthrop before he worked for AOL. So uh, more about him on episode 14. But today, yeah, we're going to discuss uh, what's going on today in COVID-19 markets. So Stephen Hans, thank you again for coming on. Thanks for having us. I really appreciate it. So, so tell us what's going on today in terms of your market, D.C., Virginia, Maryland. Let's talk about first, you know, what's what the major differences are between what happened earlier this quarter in 2020 and going into second quarter today. Sure, I'll, I'll start. So um, again, thank you for having us. You know, we are definitely seeing uh, a much more cautious. Um, buyer pool out there than we had this time last year or even a month and a half and a month and a half ago. Um, I've been tracking what I think is most relevant data is taking a period of time uh, the last three weeks and comparing it to the same three weeks of last year. And in the in Northern Virginia, for example, we've seen about a 50% fall off in, in um, properties going under contract. Um, and what's interesting is it's really concentrated. So the deals that are happening in our markets are at the uh, sort of the lower end. So in Arlington, it's really you know, one, two and under. And in McLean, it's one, five and under. Um, above, above those thresholds in, in Arlington and McLean, for example, the, the fall off is much more significant. Just as an example, uh, in McLean, in in the first 20 days of April of last year, there were, um, uh, how many, it was um, 37 properties went under contract. Mm-hmm. Excuse me, excuse me. Um, uh, $25 million worth of properties went under contract in the okay. first the first um, uh, 20 days. Yes. This year, it was 2.1 property went under contract for two cents. 
Oh my um, goodness. So it's just, uh, it's just a complete, it was, sorry, it was eight homes last year, one home this year. And it's just, and what's happened is um, that was the number of 37 homes have come on the market in this last month in McLean in that price point. So the, the, the inventory is building yep. and it's not being absorbed. So, you know, one of two things could happen is one is the something's going to happen where those buyers are going to like, there's going to be a release valve and those buyers will start coming in and buying these homes and absorbing the inventory sure. or, um, you know, just typical supply demand buyers are going to wait to see who, who makes the biggest, the biggest, uh, cuts and you know try to pick up pick up deals um so you know but the the the, the trend is suggesting that we're going to see some some depreciation in the high end in the next you know given what's going on right right so and hopefully i guess from your perspective if going back to what you said if the lockdown ends and there's an influx of buyers then obviously the supply and demand will probably cause uh the prices to hopefully not depreciate as much. But then again, we won't know until lockdown is over. Yeah. I mean, there's two, I, I think there's, there's two a couple components of this. Part of it is just the logistical challenges that's created by a lockdown. And so, you know, obviously sellers don't want strangers in their homes right now. Yeah. Buyers don't want to, you know, for the most part, go into other people's homes, especially occupied homes. Um, so that's definitely a layer which will loosen up when this lockdown is over. But then there's a whole other tranche, which is the sort of uh, economic disruption, and that's a much longer process. Um, you know, DC, because you know we're the world headquarters of Marriott, has become sort of a, a hospitality uh, mm. sort of global epicenter for ma- major major hospitality industries. Host host Marriott, and you've got and was it Stephen Hyatt Hyatt or. Um, uh, uh, is it Hilton or Hyatt or both? Hilton's they got their headquarters here, and so you know we we have that. You know that's going to be a much longer process to get those folks feeling good about their business again. And, yeah. and those in the hospitality and the entertainment travel industry are hit the hardest right now. Right, right. Uh, what do you think? I mean, what's going on in Maryland right now? I, I, it's, it's very similar with Stephen, and yeah. I, I think. You know, talking, you know, we do a lot of work in both DC, Maryland, all three jurisdictions, and it's consistent. The 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 homes which are in, in our market is which is crazy, but you know, sort of a, the the either the first home or the first first move up home where someone maybe bought a condo, wants to buy a million dollar, one point two million dollar single family home. Yeah. It's pretty firm. And really that tends to be because those buyers tend to have very good incomes. Uh, they probably haven't saved up a lot of savings yet, so they are—they weren't as exposed to the stock market, uh, and they feel—you know—they're clearly feeling secure about their jobs. As you get into the, the next tranche, the sort of the, the the forever home purchasers, which are typically selling that one point two million dollar home and buying a, a something more expensive, they're more susceptible. They just saw their their life savings get slashed by a third. Um, some of them may have more insecurity about their jobs or just more conservative and, and don't have to move. So that's why you're seeing the, the fall off that Stephen talked about. Right. Okay. Well, you know, this, this reminds me of the conversation we had back in episode 14 was, you know, one of the miracles of, or the benefits of owning in the DMV area specifically, uh, you know, in DC is a lot of these jobs are actually supported by the DC government. They're federal jobs, or they're contractor jobs, government contracting jobs. 
So that it is, I, I, we don't want to say recession proof, but we did say that it is a somewhat uh, kind of shielded away from a lot of the other markets. Like for example, New York City is, is tied to tech and Wall Street heavily. So during the downturn in 2008, the prices plummeted, uh, but not so much in Washington, D.C. You know, how confident, this is a question for both of you, how confident are you guys moving forward after we get out of this COVID-19 crisis phase uh, that the housing market will have a pretty strong rebound? Well, I mean, there's short-term and long-term. So long-term, I'm very, very bullish on our, our market. The demographics of D.C. are just super strong. You know, we have so many, uh, like you said, we have a huge extra leg to our local economy that, um, and, you know, no other market, market in the country has with the government yeah. being here. And like you also said, a disproportionate percentage of every dollar spent by the federal government stays local. So those are things that insulate our market from downturns, but we still have, you know, like Hans said, we have, we have hospitality businesses here. Yeah. We have, we have restaurants, you know, and so every, you know, those companies, uh, feel, feel, um, you know, the hit and, you know, when, when they're going to, there's, there's going to be, there has been, uh, you know, layoffs and unemployment and the, the effects of that. And, you know, people stop paying their rents and landlords can't make their mortgage payments and, yeah. you know, uh, it can, it will, and can reverberate through the economy, and you know that that part of this puzzle is a longer tail and it's unpredictable. So, we'll, you know, if the market goes down, you know, some percentage will probably will go down as well, but not not as much. Not as much. Uh-huh. I tell you, I, I think you know we just put out a thought piece on this actually, but I think this whole you know we think this whole experience is going to very much change buyer behavior coming out of this. How so? Uh, you clearly people are having to cohabitate much more tightly than they've ever had to do ever before. And I think that's going to force lifestyle decisions. Like, it's like, Oh, you know, maybe living in a, in a, you know, two or three bedroom condo with a, with a, with a toddler, it's not such a good idea. We need an extra room. We need, we need it. We need an office that we can both work from. Uh, we need a basement. We need a yard. Um, things that, that, for the last 10, 15 years, we were seeing a sort of reurbanization where sort of first-time first home buyers and second-time move-up buyers were behaving differently than the previous generation. And they were staying in the city. They were going to neighborhoods that had either been abandoned or, or, or didn't even exist or being created out of, out of you know, uh, commercial properties. And they're some of the hottest neighborhoods in D.C., like New York, like some of these other urban areas, Cleveland and some of the other cities around town, um, around the country. Uh, but I think that's going to shift again. I think it's to say, you know what? Maybe being in the close-in suburbs isn't such a bad trade. I, I have a house. I have a yard. I can still get to those things, but I don't have to like live in such a tight quarter. This is um, really interesting. Yeah, you, you said on episode 14 back in December that the general trend has been that people – that lived in places like I grew up in Fairfax Station or Fairfax County, Burke, Virginia. Uh, there's a migration to the core markets into the city. And there's a migration from those that lived in Clifton, Virginia, that are now those values haven't gone up as much, maybe gone down in some aspects. And because they want to live in Bethesda or they want to live in uh, McLean or Langley or Arlington, more closer to DC or within DC. So you're thinking, what you're saying is after this crisis is over, the thought process might shift back to, hey, let's 
go live in Clifton where there's a farm and there's a little bit of little, you know, there's a little town, but it's mostly forest. Or let's go live in Centerville, which where I could have a larger yard and have a larger home with at least one or two office home offices. Is that's what, right. is that, that's what you're saying is that the beneficiary perhaps may be more towards the suburbs now uh, in the outer markets of the DMV area and not necessarily in DC. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, last time we spoke was, you know, pre all of this. Yeah. I, really it was a failure of imagination. Like, you know, like this is a new experience for all of us. But well, there's, there's a funny um, Instagram uh, um, uh, meme going around with uh, the, the juxtaposition of, you know, shelter in place in New York City and shelter in place in California. I don't know if you've seen it, but, it, you know, the Californians like, in the pool and doing yoga in a yard and like, you know, sunbathing and the New Yorkers like doing yoga in a closet and working in the bathroom and, yes. and, and it's, and then at the end, the, the California is like, oh, I didn't, there's a quarantine going on. <laughs> so, um, but that sort of like capsulates like, you know, we're now in the last month, we have taught an entire nation's workforce how to work from home. And we've yeah. also taught a whole, you know, academia, uh, um, you know, industry, how to, how to teach remotely. Yeah. So people are going to, I mean, and, and we also said that, Hans and I also predicted this in our, in our piece, that commercial real estate is going to be see the biggest hit because mm-hmm. how people utilize commercial space and have the, the needs for commercial space is going to go way down. And the, the corollary to that is people are probably going to want home offices now and maybe about you know if they didn't have a balcony they want a balcony if they had a balcony they might want a yard you know so um you know but i still think that that trend because you want to be closer to the jobs and to the urban centers so there's still going to be you know there's still going to be sort of a a tethering effect to the urban centers but it might be a little bit broader than i want to be able to walk two minutes to a starbucks it might be i'll walk a mile or two miles to a starbucks that's okay Stephen Hans, I mean, you know, how many friends do you want at work in order to have an office space, right? How many friends do you actually really need? You know, it's funny, like, you know, I really miss, like, we're in this business, we all like people. Yeah. I really miss the, the, the sort of serendipity and the social interaction terribly. But, you know, the flip side of that is we have, you know, we're a sales office, but we have a, I mean, a 10 by 15 office, four people in it. Yeah. And, you know, and like, before this, someone would get, you know, coffee and be like, oh, please, you know, go outside. But now you'd be like, it's, 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 it's uh, code blue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Coffee or sneezing. So can't even imagine what that's going to be like when we go back. Yeah. You know, I, I definitely miss the office environment in New York City. It's always buzzing. There's tons of energy. There's intellectual stimulation from uh, obviously the C-suite leaders and also, uh, you know, our colleagues. But you know, it makes sense that, you know, now that the concept of sitting in New York City, especially, you're sitting within, you know, they give us 10 square foot per desk. So you're sitting, you know, within four or five, less than five, maybe four or three, I mean, you've seen our office, three feet of each other. Uh, that concept perhaps will change. You guys yeah. are right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and back to my question, you know, I, I, I personally want, you know, four or five or six friends uh, in the office, close friends in the office, because that makes your day a little bit more engaging and fun. But, you know, Steve and Hans, I mean, you guys are brothers. You guys have each other to deal with. And then that, that's a great part of uh, being in the business, right? Not having an office. I don't I, see. I don't think I physically have seen Steve <laughs> since late February. 
Oh, is that right? All right, Steve? This is happiest I've ever seen you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yes. We, we don't work in the same office. We, I mean, we'll, we'll yeah, talk no. several times a day, but... Um, yeah, we and you know we cover different geographic areas that are contiguous to each other. So yeah, um, uh, you know normally we, normally we would have meetings like once or twice a month that we would see each other, but you know that's obviously not happening now. Yeah, of course. Okay, uh, that makes sense. Um, let's let's switch let's shift gears a little bit. Uh, you have a big team, uh, a lot of agents that are working not under you but with you guys, and then that was something that we talked about last episode. Uh, how are they doing? How are you effectively managing them, maybe over Zoom? But, you know, obviously not just the managing, but how are you keeping the morale up? We, we um, you know, it, we're doing we're do, a couple of things. We're talking about what's important now, right? First yeah. of all, taking care of everyone's health and, 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 of and, and, and making sure their, their folks are okay. Of course. Uh, and then, you know, this is not... You know, this is not the time to be marketing. This is a time to be yeah. help connecting with people, and yeah. so we just try to help helping our folks understand what that means and and sort of talk about ways to do that with them. And so part of that is just doing it by example. We're trying to have regular meetings with our folks um, uh, uh, to help each other. Uh, we're trying to also have some fun things. We actually had a Zoom Zoom um, cocktail happy hour uh, last week. Well, oh, nice. It's really fun, which is really fun. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, I wish there was a magic magic bullet to it, but it's just being there. Like, you know, it's like even though we're sort of cocooning into our own space, you have to, you know, figure out a way to connect with people and, and, and still be present in their lives. Uh-huh. So. It's funny. We used to have um, on our side of the river uh, a weekly staff meeting Monday morning. And we've replaced a an hour long meeting with a um, a, a daily uh, fifteen minute Google Hangout call. Um, and Mondays they probably turn in they turn into a half hour, but yeah. we're actually and you know we're actually at least virtually we're seeing each other on a daily basis. We're just going through everyone's action items because yeah, my worry is if I mean, no one's no one's seeing each other. It's you know normally we're in the same office and we can sort of make sure we're not all uh, doing the same thing and and missing something else. So in, in a funny way, we're actually interacting um, more consistently and uh, good. Um, you know, you know, I think we're we're being as efficient as we can. But like Han said, you know the the marketing like we our our latest marketing piece we we shifted our you know because we we have sort of these. Uh, you know, like we have these media plans. So we shifted our print media plan from, you know, we sell the most important home yours to uh, home has never been more important, which mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, we're not trying to sell anything. We're just trying to, no, let people, we're yeah. here and we care. And, and, you know, you know, in terms of marketing, you know, um, it's, it's, it's about reaching out to everyone we worked with and just checking in on them and just making sure they're okay. They don't need anything. Um, you know, just let them and remind them that we're a resource for people. And frankly, uh, I, you know, I found that people, very few people are just checking in on other people, um, on a, you know, from a business perspective, you know, we, we don't, you know, 
we want to be different. We want to make sure that we, we actually we're humans and we, we have a real connection with our, with our folks. Mm, yeah, no, that's good. That, that's good that, you know, you always have to ship based on the conditions of the market. And this is something that's unprecedented, but you guys are clearly doing the right thing by not really putting it out there. This is a great deal for you to buy, but you're shifting your marketing. That is a little bit more sensible to today's conditions and a little bit more, not as offensive. Let's just say, if you say this is, you got to go and check this house out now, it's a little bit more offensive than let's just say it was a regular market. So um, that certainly makes sense. Uh, Talking about, um, you know, you guys are working a lot with your teams now on a consistent basis, which is great. Uh, Going through some of your action items that you guys talk about and discuss, I'm sure some of it is related to your current inventory. And I've, I've noticed, um, you know, just on the Compass website, not, I know I'm sure you guys have some things that are taken off or, or coming soon, but you guys have about 20 units on the market right now uh, between uh, McLean, Virginia, Bethesda, uh, Arlington, and obviously in Washington, D.C. Talk to me, you know, you have a lot of units that are on the market uh, that are active, and then you have a lot that are under contract or pending. Um, what are you know let's break this conversation down into three sections what are the what's the psychology right now behind the sellers that are on the market that are active uh on the market not pending um it looks like you have three nice units right here in mclean virginia you got 1936 franklin 8893 uh windy ridge um and Carlton place uh you have those are on the market and you have a lot that are uh, pending in mclean you got the hamill court rector lane those are pending so let's all let's just kind of discuss the psychology behind these sellers and in you know how they're feeling and what why they're on the market right now. Sure. So um and you, you know we have uh 1902 Valleywood and Mayhurst. We have some other good listings, but I know you didn't mention them all, but um <laughs> so it's on forever, right? You guys have a lot of listings. But the the short answer is uh you know life happens, right? You know, people, you know, you know, we're only a month and a half, you know, when people are buying or selling homes, it's usually a longer lead time. So um, in some cases, uh, um, these buyers have already, um, you know, moved, you know, empty nested and they're in Florida or they've already moved into their new home and they sort of have a vacant property that they're not utilizing. And the question is always, you know, you know, it becomes a market timing decision. And, and so, you know, we've, we had these conversations with all of our clients, which is what's the right timing. And the ones we have on the market now really is a, you know, they're definitely selling. And the question is, do we wait a month, two months, next season? Yeah, four months, five months. And then the question becomes, okay, well, you know, if you do that, the one thing you know for sure is that you have at least that much carrying costs. Yeah, into the equation. What we don't know for sure is will the market be better or worse, um, and that, and you know, if you wait two months for you know things to settle down, will it be a better market, or will you know will it be down 15 percent? So you know, um, you know, my my uh, advice is typically like I'd rather I'd rather do the best uh, we can in the market we know versus wait for the market we want. Right. Uh, because that that market might not be back here for a few, you know, for a few years. That's a great quote. You just said, "Do the best in the market that we know and yeah. we have, and not the market that we want." Right. And so, uh, you know, and the question is always, 
you know, by waiting, do you think it's more likely that the market's going to be stronger two months from now or weaker two months from now? And the answer, the, the truth of the matter is, I don't know the answer. Hans doesn't know the answer. Nobody knows the answer, right? And it's like, you know, you can guess it. And if you're right, you feel like a genius. But if you're wrong, it's really expensive. Yeah. So, um, uh, so, you know, that being said, if someone's on the fence, like, look, I don't have to move. Yeah. And I'm happy where we are. But, I do, you know, we're sort of, we're getting to that point where a little bit, we're outgrowing this house or, you know, this house is a little big. And we might want to downsize in the next year or two. Then you have a little more like, let, well, let's see, because this is definitely a, we're at an inflection point in the market right now. Let's just see if all these high-end homes, for example, are going to be absorbed, or is there going to be a radical drop in the market? Yeah. Um, and, you know, then you have sort of the, the um, flexibility to watch and see what's going on. But, you know, remember, when you, when you move, um, you know, if you're, if you're buying and selling, you know, you, you're, you're going to, you're going to either you win, and you're lose win on one end. or lose on one and win on the other. So yeah, that's one thing. If you're buying into the market, you know, we're telling our buyers for the, for, for the most part, this is the market you've been waiting for. You still have low interest rates. Um, you still have, you, you know, DC is still a strong market. You know, it's got a lot of good things going on. And, and third, you, we, for the first time in a long time, we really have sellers who might be willing to capitulate more than they would have, like to work with you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, buyers are always complaining, um, or, you know, the theoretical buyers like, oh, gosh, it's, it's, it's too hard to buy in D.C. or in the D.C. market. Well, now you, have, you might have the conditions that make it, you know, a good opportunity to, to be a buyer. And if you're a buyer, we always tell our buyers, don't try to time when you buy. Try yeah. to time how long you think you'll be happy in that yeah. home. Oh yeah, that's good. That's another wow. Look at Steve with back to back great quotes. Two. So what? So I have two, and Hans has zero. Is that? Yeah. <laughs> Hans, what do you think? Do you agree? And, and do you also have any other quotes to battle and up that? Uh, quotes, Hans. Oh, Steve, can you get me a beer, please? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's well said. Well said. Yeah, you said uh, well said again. You never say well said, right? I never say well. You know, one, once a show. What's <laughs> a show? Okay, uh, you know what about? Talk to me about the, the second part of the question. Is talk to me about uh, maybe Hans? You can jump in on this. The sellers that are in contract today. Did you have any of those buyers that wanted to back out? And if so, how did you manage those? And if not, I guess the, you have the magic touch, or the sellers must you know the, the seller must be really pleased with you. Um, excellent question so we've been blessed that that uh so far we haven't we haven't had anything um uh derail yet Good. so uh, no one backed out no one wanted their deposit back yeah, they were we had a bunch to we get their money back yeah and part you know part of it is uh you know so i so we have to be back up. I, I i've had buyers that were active buyers like writing offers this happened. They were in the hospitality business, or oh, yeah. and they just hit the pause button. So a lot of our buyers, a lot of our sellers said, "We still want to do this," like Stephen said, "but we're going to wait." Yeah. So a lot of that happened. But our stuff that was under contract, as as uh, so far, pretty much stayed under contract. You know, it's funny. Honestly, one of the things that I, I think realtors and consumers always appreciate is good realtors um, help their clients 
make good decisions. So like what Stephen was saying is if that buyer is making a decision for the right reason, it's a home that they're going to be happy in for many years, you know, and something like this happens, it really shouldn't really derail you from going forward with that process. Um, uh, and, and if you're a listing agent, you know, you want to try to, uh, understand who's buying the home. And, you know, we've had a hot, we really, as Stephen said, we had a really hot market coming into this, yeah. into this. Event. So there was a lot of seller, uh, seller, um, selling power, you know, it was, it was a seller's market. So a good agent really tries to help and help their clients negotiate a contract with a strong buyer who's in, in the deal for the right reasons. Weaker, you know, weaker agents have, you know, may not manage that process as well. And I think their deals are more fragile and they're more, you know, bad, bad things happen more, you know, to them it's like, oh my God, it, 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 it came out of left field. In reality, it was, it was a more of a tenuous, tenuous transaction from the, right. From the guy. Right. I think good, good brokers, either way, you said it well, the, either way you look at it, good brokers know that if this is a good deal for them and the amount of years that they're going to spend in this, in this home is going to be worth it for them. You know, the COVID-19 crisis, the way, regardless of the way you see it, is not going to be something that's going to last forever. So it, good brokers will always be able to keep the deal together, assuming that their jobs are okay, their funding is okay, uh, and obviously the other, you know, the items involved in the transaction. So that certainly makes sense. It's interesting that um, we did have one uh, deal where the, the buyer asked, um, right, right as the stock market started falling off a cliff. Yeah. He, he said, you know, it was a hard contract. No, there were no contingencies. He said, you know, given what's going on in the market, you know, I'd like to renegotiate price. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. And, and, you know. How did you deal with that? My response was, uh, well, you know, it wasn't my, I said, it's not my decision, but, yeah. you, know, the, you know, if the market appreciated 20%, were you going to pay us more money? Like that, that's, that's the, that's the risk you take in a deal. And, you know, luckily we negotiated a pretty good earnest money deposit. I think for a long time we've been really um, fortunate in our market that you know very few deals fall through, and um, I think this is more true in Virginia. It's less true in DC, Maryland, but Virginia, I think a lot of agents sort of don't even, they don't even pay attention to the earnest money deposit amount, and they've been you know they they can sometimes they come in low, and that's something we've always paid a lot of strong attention to in our deals, um, and it's you know. You know, over 10, 20 years, if you never have an earnest money deposit issue, it's like, oh, I don't don't bother negotiating that. It never never comes into play. Now you know why it comes into play, right? Because you know, if it's if it's nominal, the, the buyer might just walk and just give up a few thousand dollars. But if it's significant, they're going to think twice before walking from that. And if they do, then the the, the seller has some at least some uh, um, uh, liquidated damage to cover the you know some material liquidated damages to cover the uh, the loss of the deal. This is a very simple question, and, and a lot of the listeners may not know this, but what is the typical percentage of the earnest deposit in D.C., Maryland, Virginia? Does it vary? Is it all about the same across the board in your area? How much is it? It's, well, first of all, it's 100% negotiable. Um, okay. I think, again, it's in D.C., Maryland, it uh, tends to be higher. Um, five, five, 5% is sort of the gold standard. In That's it? Yeah, so in a competitive, 5%, 5% as well. Yeah. In, yeah. In, a, in a competitive situation, it can go up to 10%. Um, wow. Yeah, I really see more than 10% as a, as a earnest money deposit. 
It's way, way easier than buying a New York City co-op then. But yeah, 10%, I guess, for condominiums, that makes sense. So yeah, it's, it's real property. So 10, yeah, 10% makes sense. Um, in Virginia, it's, you know, very often we'll get a 1%. One? Deposit, and then we, we, I try to negotiate up to at least two, if not three. to If it's competitive, like we like to see three to 5%. It's, amazing, you, how regional, it's amazing how regional it is. It really is. Some markets, is like $300. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Not around here, but and it's just you talk to people across the country. It's it's very localized. There you go. Our New York City uh, listeners that are buyers are all moving to DC now because they just realized that the the, the flexibility there is. We're New Yorkers. I mean, DC is the best suburb of New York. There is. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I hope and you must. And, and, and we have a championship baseball team. And a what? A championship baseball team. Oh yeah, and and the hockey team. <laughs> and the hockey team. And hockey, exactly. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, speaking of uh, athletes, uh, for our listeners who we know, we, we just talked about McLean a lot, but uh, McLean is actually a very uh, interesting neighborhood where it's kind of like the distance is very similar to a uh, Hoboken, New Jersey, uh, right over the Hudson River to the financial district. It's literally just over the river. Uh, but speaking of sports, I'm Bradley Beal uh, from the Washington Wizards. He's a point guard. He lives in McLean. Uh, Eric Dorsey, who is a defensive end for the New York Giants, who was a defensive end for the New York Giants, he went to uh, McLean High School. And then uh, Alex Ovechkin, uh, I don't know if he still lives in McLean, but he, I know he owns a house out there. Now, Alex yeah. Ovechkin is the captain of the Washington Capitals. We, we have some, we have, I don't like to talk about the individuals themselves, but we have some real uh, uh, great great high high powered professional athletes and industry leaders and all sorts here so i, I don't like to be the one who like says yeah, no 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 i know yeah please don't don't, don't uh, disclose your clients yeah. names yeah um, but we do, we do have some really good uh you know you see a lot of interesting uh people who you would recognize just going in the coffee shops or you know well not not coffee shops today but maybe <laughs> <laughs> yeah not today no i just know because i grew up in the area and uh I played a lot of lacrosse at Langley High School, yeah. and uh, I, I was in the orchestra growing up, so we had a lot of practices in Langley and McLean High School, and uh, I just, I'm just speaking from the top of my head as far as my knowledge of that area. Um, I believe, I, I guess, Colin Powell, the uh, the state secretary, ex-state secretary, he was also uh, a resident there, too, but anyways, yeah. so, uh, you know, just, I, I know we don't have a lot of time here, so just kind of wrapping up. A few more things. Um, you showed us uh, some, uh, I, I think Steve and Hans, you, you guys showed, both of you guys showed me some interesting data on year-over-year uh, -year statistics. So uh, would you mind sharing your screen and just yeah, kind of discuss? Sure. This is, um, and this is showing, you know, state-by-state state, um, lockbox activity this year versus, this is um, this year versus last year. Yep. And in the District of Columbia, it's down, you know, 55, 56% from, from last year so so to reiterate the number of showings because in dc and maryland there's a lot a lot of the showings are through lock boxes the showings are down 50 percent over 50 percent over 50 percent and if you go i mean i was just showing uh virginia for example or sure. steven is um down 36 percent from the peak 37 percent and 41 percent year over year down so um, today this time last year there was 40% more showings Correct. on a weekly basis than today. Correct. Okay. And then what's Maryland looking And Maryland at? is um, here. 
also about 44, 45%. Got it. So it's down this time year over year, 45% in terms of showing. Think about it this way. So January, right? This is the first, first week of January. Everyone's away. We have fewer showings now than we did the first week of January. And we're in the middle of the spring market. Right. So January, the first week of January had more showings than today or this week. I don't know if that's right. That you're looking at a percentage basis here. So no, they, no, it's trued up from January. So this is zero. This is when they're even. This is the differential. It's it's based on a zero. That's that's what I'm saying. It's based on a zero. It's compared to that. That's where they. We'll, we'll just agree to disagree in the math here. Huh? <laughs> and then just for our, our listeners' purposes, uh, can you go and show us New York, state of New York? Yes. Uh, I believe the number was significantly larger now. Yeah, New York is down. New York is down eighty-eight percent. Eighty-eight percent. Eighty-eight point six percent. So let's just say eighty-nine percent year-over-year differential in the number of showings, and that just shows you just being the epicenter of where the coronavirus is. Uh, New York is is as a state, not New York City, because we can't track New York City. New York State is has been severely affected. So this includes. I, I'm sure you know a lot of it is you know Westchester and Albany and upstate. This data is sort of a, um, what's the word? It's a proxy for demand, right? Because uh, showing activity sort of translates in, into, into hopefully offers. Um, you know, one of the things that, you know, we, we're, we've been actually pushing our local boards to get is um, much more intelligence on lockbox. In our area, they use these lockboxes that electronically record every showing. Yeah, and what's really interesting is you know we'd like to get and still haven't gotten is sort of how many how many times on average lockboxes are sh- uh, uh, the lockbox is open for a particular property goes under contract and you get that over average you get sort of you get an idea of the pace of the market um, and so they're starting to share some of this data with us but you know we don't they don't give us enough data that we can really sort of drill down on what's happening but this is reflective of what we're seeing <laughs> we talked about at the beginning of the podcast which is you know, demand's down 50%. Like, you know, fewer properties are going under contract now than they were this time last year. Without a doubt. Uh, Steve, you have a, you, you talked a little bit about the, the data that you have starting the number of contracts getting signed in April. And the actual figures you said were, what, what was it? You said, was that, that was down more? So, I, I, you know, I was just looking at that before, because um, I'm, I'm actually checking it on a daily basis. Yeah. Um, so... Where is it? Um, so, uh, give me one second. Yep. <clears throat> yeah, so in uh, just uh, McLean, for example, um, uh, you know what, I, I, I'd have to recreate it. I don't wanna give, I don't wanna give you wrong numbers, but it's down like, um, the number of properties going under contracts down 50% and in the high end, I think I told you it's like down almost like 80, 75, 80%. Uh-huh. Yeah. So it's a pretty significant number. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that the prices are down just for your listeners. I understand it's just the pure fact that the, the number of people traveling to see homes is down. Thus the number of contracts just being down. I'll tell you what's it's sort of an interesting subset of the psychology that we're seeing is the houses that are getting shown more tend to be vacant. Uh-huh. Buyers are asking, like, you know, because to, to view a vacant home, 
is a relatively controlled situation that you can take safety precautions. But if there's a family of four, you know, living there, and the fam- first of all, the family is nervous, the buyers are nervous, and it's just it's a much more, you know, there's a lot more friction in making that showing happen. Yeah. The other thing we're seeing is uh, it te- it's what I call a schizophrenic market. Properties tend to like get multiple offers in the first week or two, or they sit. Mm-hmm. And, and um, so there are buyers out there. You know, we had one listing um, two weeks ago in the middle of all this. The first week, we had over 30 showings. Wow. That, in our market, that, that was significant. Um, and we ended up with multiple offers and, uh, um, and sold it. But, you know, just that those are 30 different buyers going after one property, you know, taking a look at one particular property. Mm-hmm. And again, that was at the lower end of the market, you know, McLean, that was in that, you know, low 1 million range. Interesting. Yeah. So it's, if it's priced right, the telltale sign in a good location when the properties are still priced appropriately or even maybe a little low that, you know, you could get up to 30 visitors for an open house, which is for us hearing that in New York City, that, that's an incredible figure. No more open houses, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's yeah. Wrap up, guys. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, j- just, just for listeners, you know, what are you guys doing right now to, uh, now that you have a little bit more time, you're not commuting as much, you know, maybe you're saving an hour or two or three a day. I mean, what, what are you guys doing with uh, some of that extra time that you guys have? Woodworking. So, what, 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 what are you making? Tables? I, I, uh, I bought my first power tool in like 10 years and, and uh, um, refurbishing two Adirondack chairs. Okay. Adirondack chairs. I don't know what that is, but I'm, I'm sure it's... Those are those little like, you know, chairs you see on the lawns that you can sit low and... Outdoor chair. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the wineries and stuff. <laughs> so you can see uh, the backdrop to, to me is actually semi, semi-organized. Beautiful. Uh, about four weeks ago, like those shelves were overflowing with just stuff and stuff and stuff. So in the room that you can't see, I have just a mountain of, of stuff that I've been piling for to give away to, to uh, Goodwill. And um, we work with a wider circle, a local charity here. But um, I've been using this, op- this, this time to just organize and you know, take care of a lot of back burner projects that you, know, you just never get to. Okay, good. Uh, and then last question to the to the listeners that are parents. Do you guys have any advice to, uh, you know, with the kids not being in school, do you guys have any advice on uh, parenting? You know, so my kids are in college. And, oh, that's good. That's right. And um, they were both supposed to be away now, and they're both home. And, uh, you know, which, you know, they're basically young adults. And, and uh you know, one way it's like, you know, Judy and I were just become, my wife and I were just becoming empty nesters. We had all these plans that got, got uh, derailed. But the other side of it, this is an absolute gift to have both kids home. Uh, we're having family dinner every night. And when I say every night, I mean every night. It's, it's great. great. You know, it's really, it's really fun to have them around. And, and uh, um, we're, we're playing, uh, my son plays a mean game of ping pong. And, and, uh, <laughs> good. and so we're, we're having some fun. Good, good. It's a blessing in disguise, huh? Yeah, yeah. Especially when they're older, it's a lot easier. Yeah, the young families—it's hard. It's my, you know, seeing what those guys like trying to homeschool, work. Uh, oh yeah, cook. I mean, it's it's much hard, bigger challenge. Oh yeah, it's especially the people that are working in a essential essential business. Uh, they they have oh, yeah. that home. It can be a challenge. Level. Absolutely. Yeah. Steve, how how about you? How has it been with your kids? 
it's been awesome. Like it's, it's been a gift to me. So I'm, I'm a single dad with 50, 50 custody. So when they're home with me, I'm, I try to, you know, I, I take care of the, the essential work stuff and, and let everything else go, you know, wait. And then, you know, I have a daughter who just started driving. So we're doing a lot of, oh. a lot of driving around town. Um, <laughs> I did get her a manual transmission and she's, oh, great. she's really solid on it. Now. That's awesome. And then my younger daughter is, uh, she and I are cooking and she, she, we're going to, we're cooking more and more elaborate meals. And for elaborate, for me, it's like, it used to be, uh, you know, mac and cheese, but now we actually have like mini ingredients and garlic bread and a salad. And I'm, I'm, and she's helping me put the menu and the shopping list together. It's been really enjoying this, this time. Cause you know, I think, uh, the thing I think, you know, it's been really great about this experience. If you can pull something good out of it is we sort of, everyone sort of realized that like, we're also busy and sort of, you don't really get the opportunity to like slow down and, and, and enjoy these times with family. So I'm really trying to, you know, you know, always remember that when, when uh, you know, the, the emails pile up and, you know, you got to prioritize. Yeah. When we come out of this, this is going to be gone just like that. So yeah, definitely take advantage of the situation and cherish every moment of it. Uh, thank you guys so much. Uh, where, where can, where can our listeners reach out to you? Where, how can they find you? Is it, is it Instagram? Is it your website? What's the best way? We're, we're very multimedia, but the easiest way is just go to widelerbrothers.com. Uh, all our information's there. And, uh, but we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, you know, we're, we're everywhere. I'll make sure to plug you on the next post. Thank you guys so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Stay safe. Uh, you know, enjoy this time, cherish it. And uh, hopefully we come out of this stronger. And we, uh, you know, certainly hope that uh, we, we'll gain our feedback in no time uh, once we come out of this. So, uh, again, thank you so much for your time and uh, speak to you guys soon. Thanks, All right, Take care. Stay safe. Bye-bye.